Today from the Global Lane, an unprecedented global coalition pledges to expose China's malicious cyber activities. This is China against the world. Leftists manipulating minority voters has pawns of change. They recognize they can achieve power and begin to change America. Do away with Chick-fil-A. Ban the Christian business from campus at Notre Dame? It seems so strange that a business built on Christian principles wouldn't find a welcome home at a Christian university. And church snitch in the UK, reporting a maskless pastor for singing a hymn on Easter Sunday. Thine be the glory. And it's all right here on The Global Lane. The Biden administration has announced that the United States and its European allies are forming an unprecedented coalition to expose communist China's malicious cyber activities. Our next guest has been sounding the alarm for years about China's irresponsible behavior, the theft of secrets and intellectual property in cyberspace. Gordon Chang is a columnist, author, lawyer and China analyst. He joins us to share his insights. Gordon, thank you for taking the time to weigh in on this. So is this truly unprecedented, a coalition like this, to criticize China? Well, this certainly is unusual, and we haven't seen this in decades, Gary. Uh, really, it's not only the United States, it's also the EU, NATO, uh, miscellaneous Western countries. And importance here is that this is not U.S. versus China, which Beijing likes to frame everything. This is China against the world. So that's an advance. Right now, the White House is saying it's designed to expose what China is doing, and it's backing up tough talk with action by imposing costs and criminal charges on four Ministry of State security hackers for their efforts to steal Ebola virus vaccine research. So how likely is it that this is a serious effort against China in the long term? If it were just up to the Biden administration, I'm sure it wouldn't be serious because the indictment of four hackers is meaningless in some sense. Um, but what's going to start here is a dynamic. The American people are going to start to push the White House. Also, I think we're going to see China react. China is going to overreact. That's going to make it clear that the administration here has got to do something. So I believe that this is starting a process, which probably the Biden administration would not like to be in. But unfortunately for them, they've got no choice right now. So correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed that just before the COVID-19 pandemic, talks between the Chinese and Trump administration got hung up on the issue of intellectual property rights and consequences. So how serious is China about reaching an accommodation? And can the CCP leadership be trusted on this? Yeah. China is not serious about an accommodation. They're willing to make agreements as a tactical matter, and they did with the uh, phase one trade deal um, last year. Um, but China is not even honoring those uh, easy to meet commitments. And that's a real indication that Beijing is backtracking on any sort of deal. And therefore, I think that the Biden administration shouldn't be looking for an agreement with China. It should be looking to impose those costs. And those costs have to be as severe or more severe than the benefits that China gets from hacking. And we've got to remember that China steals hundreds of billions of dollars of U.S. intellectual property each year. John Radcliffe, former director of national intelligence, put that number at almost $500 billion in his op-ed of last December. So criminal charges against those Chinese state security hackers who reside in China, do steps like that really accomplish anything? 
It doesn't really do anything because those hackers are going to be well beyond the reach of uh, U.S. law enforcement. They're going to stay in China. Uh, China is certainly not going to give them up. Um, really, what we need to start doing is either hacking back or, um, and I think the more appropriate response is to start cutting economic relations with China, because that's what's going to really hurt Beijing. If we start reducing trade and investment, um, Beijing, I think, is going to understand how severely um, we can impose those costs. We constantly hear politicians and members of the media blame Russia for cyber attacks, but intelligence analysts have told me that China was actually responsible for solar winds and other cyber attacks. Do you agree? Why are government officials and members of the media so reluctant to blame China? Well, they're reluctant because um, we have had this policy of engagement up until the Trump administration. That was five decades of trying to integrate China into the international system. Also, many Americans um, do quite well financially from their investments or their trade relations with China, so they don't want to disturb the boat. Um, and also, you know, we're, ju we're just seeing people being afraid of Beijing, which they shouldn't be, because China is much more reliant on the U.S. than the other way around. Um, but I, you know, as with regard to the attribution for any particular cyber attack, we might not know. But at least with the Microsoft Exchange cyber attack, um, there's clear evidence pointing to Beijing. So how concerned should we be about China's ability to hack critical energy, defense and corporate computer networks? And what additional steps need to be taken to counter the threat? Yeah, China is very good at stealing information from the U.S., and we've got to be critically concerned. We've had a series of administrations that have not taken robust steps. And clearly, this is not just a question of China's thievery and criminal activity. It's more, I think, a question of America's failure to respond to this. Just to give you an example, you know, in 2014, North Korea hacked Sony Pictures Entertainment, but those attacks originated from Chinese IP addresses. And when the FBI was actually asked, was any other country besides North Korea involved? They said no. But the Chinese officials had to know because they maintained the Great Firewall. They could see the attacks going out to Sony. They could see the hundreds of terabytes of data that, will, that were exfiltrated from that company coming back into China. We have just been so reluctant to call the Chinese out. So, of course, the Chinese are going to continue to steal. This has got to stop. So are the Chinese Communist Party's hacking efforts against these critical U.S. public and private sector computer networks growing? Absolutely growing. Um, and part of it is because we haven't taken those steps that are necessary to deter and to stop this. Remember, our, our costs have got to be enormous because China has enormous benefits from stealing from the United States, not just the monetary value of the intellectual property they've stolen, but also the national security um, secrets that they have obtained. So um, I believe that uh, we have to take drastic measures to protect ourselves. And if we don't, I don't know what our children and grandchildren are going to think about us because we have the means to protect ourselves. And when they find out that we didn't protect them and ourselves, I wonder what they're going to think. Okay, Gordon Chang, as usual, we appreciate you taking the time to provide your analysis. Thank you, Gary. On the home front, Democrats are going all out to challenge new state voter election laws. Speaking last week in Pennsylvania, President Biden said laws like the one under consideration in Texas are dangerous. 
21st century Jim Crow assault is real. It's unrelenting. And we're going to challenge it vigorously. Joining us with reaction to that comment and more is political commentator Stephen Broden. He's author of the book Pawns of Change. Also, Pastor Broden is the executive director of the Content of Character series and former adjunct professor of Dallas Baptist University. And he's a former Republican candidate for Congress and recipient of the Ronald Reagan Gold Medal Award. So, Pastor Broden, what was your reaction when you heard President Biden describe revised voting law efforts as Jim Crow and the greatest threat to democracy since the Civil War? I think that's just nonsense. It's hyperbole of the worst kind. We need to have our elections secure. We need to have fraud and corruption mitigated and removed as much as possible. And that's what the law in Texas is attempting to do, clean up the voter rolls and make sure that legal citizens of the United States or of Texas can vote and vote without having their vote mitigated or nullified by illegals and other false means of voting. So I think this is a good thing that Texas is headed in the direction of. Since the last election, at least 17 states have now enacted new voting laws. And many Democrats say new rules like those disallowing drive-through voting will suppress voter turnout, especially in minority communities. Do you agree or disagree? I, I disagree. I, I believe that voting is pretty easy. It's uh, not a cumbersome process. If you've got your voter registration and your ID, uh, you can walk into uh, the voting polls in your community and vote relatively easy. It is not a cumbersome process. I believe that there are some issues, but I think we can resolve those issues and um, make voting as easy as possible. I believe that in America, we have perhaps one of the best systems available. We not only have a system that allows for all to vote, but we have the capacity to correct any malfeasance or any corruption. And we need to do that because we saw in this last election cycle that there was a lot of fraud that was perpetrated on the process. Of course, President Biden called that the big lie. Uh, but I know in your book, Pawns of Change, you say progressives have used American blacks as pawns to advance their agenda to fundamentally change this country. So please give us an example and explain. Well, uh, when you look at what is happening in uh, the black community, uh, it seems that we have our vote going to one party. Uh, this is not by accident. It is by design of the left, the liberal left, and the progressive and the socialist and the Marxist. They recognize that if they can get the poor to vote for them, they can achieve power and begin to change America. How they have done this is through a number of tools that they have in their toolbox. Social justice, critical race theory, intersectionality, critical theory, liberation theology. All of these tools that they use to amplify any race issues that black people in America are sensitive about. And so they amplify it, they embellish it, they enlarge upon it, make it bigger than life. And then say, we can answer your problem if you vote us in. They get voted in, nothing changes, and their agenda advances, and that is to undermine our Constitution and to change America 
into a socialistic paradigm. And little changes uh, being made. We see it being played out now more than ever with the advancement, as you mentioned, critical race theory, other efforts to divide Americans based on their color. Why now? Well, uh, I believe they believe they're at a point where they can flip America, that they have been indoctrinating our children and young people in America with a socialistic paradigm in our schools and in other academic uh, institutions. They are controlling, quite frankly, all of the major institutions that influence us today. I, I have listed seven, academia, education, the arts, the government, the family, the church, and major corporations. There are seven institutions that are bowing down to cultural Marxism, which is better known in America as political correctness. And as a result of that, they feel as if they're at a place where they can flip this nation. Now we have an administration who is spending all the money and giving money away in order to bankrupt our economy. And out of this chaos, and this is their theory, out of chaos comes a new order. And the new order that they're seeking to establish is defined by Klaus Schwab, who is the president of the World Economic Forum, who says that we are at a place where we can do a global reset of the economy, of the uh, our politics, and of our policies in the earth so as to advance their socialistic agenda. This is not by accident, it is by design. And that's what content of character is attempting to do, is to go into the black community and help them to understand that what is happening here is not organic. It is synthetic, it is designed by the Marxists who have one thing in mind, and that is to move us towards a world system under which socialism is king. Okay, the book is Pawns of Change. Pastor, political commentator Stephen Broden, thank you so much for providing those insights today. You bet. Have a good one. Do away with Chick-fil-A. The effort to eject the popular Christian restaurant from U.S. college campuses is unrelenting. Now students at one of America's premier Catholic institutions are saying they don't want the chain to set up shop on campus because Chick-fil-A has had donations to Christian groups. Well, here to explain more about what is happening at the University of Notre Dame is Angela Morabito. Ms. Morabito is former press secretary at the U.S. Department of Education. She currently serves as spokesperson for campus reform. Angela, it's good to talk with you again. So what in the world is going on with Chick-fil-A at Notre Dame, a Catholic university? Well, it seems so strange that a business built on Christian principles wouldn't find a welcome home at a Christian university. Uh, but there are students at Notre Dame who are saying Chick-fil-A has to go because of its Christian identity and because of the founders' Christian beliefs. They started a petition that had about 200 signatures from students and faculty who said no to Chick-fil-A, but that's a pretty small but vocal group out of the many thousands of people who go to that school. So fortunately, the school saw the light and they said in no uncertain terms that the Chick-fil-A is going to be built, it'll be allowed to go forward, and it's great to see a school actually take a stand against the woke mob uh, when unfortunately so many others choose to cave. Donations to which Christian groups concern them and why? 
Well, there are quite a few things like Fellowship of Christian Athletes and the Salvation Army, they say are anti-LGBTQ. But when you look at what these groups do, they have a much larger humanitarian mission that Chick-fil-A supports. If any other faith had been making donations to these groups, I bet you these same students wouldn't bat an eyelash. But because they're Christian groups, they are always under the gun, always being criticized. And it's unfortunate to see it from Christian campuses. These kids knew what they were signing up for when they went to a Catholic college. I'm a double Georgetown alum. That school is also very loud and proud about their Catholic views. No one's forced to go there. Students have a choice. And they chose to go somewhere because it has, at least in part because it has, a Christian identity. And then they show up and try to take that identity away from them. It just makes no sense. And I understand, I understand, Angela, they also object to Chick-fil-A's non-vegan menu. Tell us about that one. <laughs> That's right. Uh, two of these students wrote an op-ed in, in the school paper, and they said that Chick-fil-A is hurting the environment because they serve meat. Well... Chick-fil-A is not the only company with an impact on the environment, and trying to pin all of the world's environmental issues on Chick-fil-A is just a total joke. There, there's no possible way. It makes no sense. We're watching left-wing students try to influence their whole university just by spouting off talking points that aren't even true. And I know you have about, uh, well, you said 200 students, maybe 26 faculty members so uh, that have signed a letter. So what are the chances that uh, other universities uh, will do the same and follow suit with uh, the students at Notre Dame, even though Notre Dame uh, did say we're not going to relent to them? Well, not every university has made the same choice. And campus reform has been seeing this for years. Chick-fil-A is such a lightning rod for controversy that back in 2019, we were actually looking at seven different states that had campus Chick-fil-A controversies going on. Now, not all of them went in favor of religious freedom. Some of them said, no, Chick-fil-A can't be here. But Notre Dame is taking a very strong stand here by saying that they're going to stick with their Christian values. They're going to respect the faith of other Christians who want to live out their values on campus. And this could and should be a turning point for other schools to realize that, you know, their Christian values are what make them special. It's what makes these schools what they are. It's not something that they should be hiding or trying, you know, to, to sweep under the rug while the campus left tries to dictate what happens at the school. And, and finally, Angela, I understand you probably, this didn't surprise you, I'm sure. Do you expect more of this to continue and why is this type of thing happening on campus? Well, it's quite telling that a very small group of left-wingers think that they can decide what other people are and are not able to eat at school. It's just a huge intrusion on freedom. And, and unfortunately, it doesn't surprise us. We see this at campus reform all the time, where these very small but very loud groups of people show up and they try to kick out people of faith. They try to uh, tamp down on other students' free speech rights. So it's the sense of freedom for me, but not for thee that is so pervasive among certain groups on campus. But, you know, people are waking up to this. There are parents, alumni, and students themselves who are starting to hold schools accountable and making sure they stay true to their values, making sure that they treat all students fairly, not just the loudest among them. Well, we're glad that you and Campus Reform are on top of this and stay on top of it. Angela Morabito, it's always good to talk with you, Angela. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, Gary. It's my pleasure. The COVID police are at it again.
this time in the United Kingdom. And this time it's not the local authorities, but an informant from within. Reverend Charlie Boyle of All Saints Church in Bransom Park, Dorset, is in trouble for not wearing a mask. Pastor Boyle faces disciplinary action because at least one parishioner complained about the COVID rules violation. Here's Pastor Charlie. I've been accused of singing the last verse of Thine Be the Glory on Easter Sunday as I'm leaving the service. And frankly, that is laughable. Thine be the glory. Reverend Charlie could be ousted from his ministry at the church, and that's not a laughing matter. Stop and think about this. A parishioner felt threatened as the maskless passer passed by for only seconds while singing Thine Be the Glory. Oh no, incoming. Reverend Charlie is spewing COVID-tainted spit throughout the parish sanctuary. Take cover. Folks, do you really think Pastor Boyle would have led Easter services if he had a fever or was experiencing COVID-like symptoms? I don't think he would have done that. Pastor Charlie responsibly cares for his flock and he's put strict COVID health protocols in place at the church. We had our own track and trace. We had the QR codes. We put sanitizer in the church hall. I personally put these little red markers and I've made sure that people have been safe. I think the agitated church attendee should have taken a more biblical approach. Instead of becoming a snitch by reporting the pastor to the church hierarchy, the offended parishioner should have politely approached the pastor after the service to explain their feelings, regardless of the signs. It's that simple. First, go to the offender. And although Pastor Charlie suffers from asthma, he may risk his own health in the future to be more accommodating of those feelings. But disciplinary action for Reverend Charlie? Nope. That's a step way beyond the pale. Unlike Texas House Democrats flying maskless for hours to Washington, this was not a super spreader event. I don't know about you, but I thank God for fearless Christian leaders and those who sing joyously about the Lord's resurrection on Easter Sunday or any day, regardless of extreme consequences. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.